What's up? What's happening? Welcome here to Lacrosse Now. That is Tom Eschen. I am Travis Seldridge. We've got a big show coming up. We're talking to the new Providence head coach, Bobby Benson. Talk about his offensive philosophy. Obviously won a national championship with Maryland this year and why Providence was the right fit for him. Uh, plus, we also have... NLL Finals MVP Dylan Ward joining the show. We do. And Travis, nice shirt, number one. If you guys oh, are watching the you. video portion of this, then you can see we're wearing very similar shirts today. Slightly different colors, but the camera makes it kind of blend. So that's number one, yeah. and first and foremost. We also have some headlines coming out of the PLL weekend we're talking about and looking ahead to this weekend. Two interesting stuff happening, as always, as we're about a third way through, way through the season Happens already. Quick. I mean, this season's coming and it's going. Um, but let's start with the NLL because... What a series, what a final. Unbelievable. And what a upset victory. I mean, this is something and like you have a favorite and you have an underdog. It was pretty clearly defined here throughout the series. I mean, we had Jake Elliott on the show. We both predicted even after game 2 that the Bandits would win. It was the Colorado Mammoth who got the job done, shutting down for the most part the Bandits offense, winning the championship their first in the franchise. So, I mean, what a cool, cool thing for, for this league in their first year back of being gone for a year and a half to have it end like this. I think it's really neat. Unbelievable. I mean, the, the NLL finals, if you didn't watch any of it, we had 19,000 people in the stands in Buffalo in the KeyBank Center. That is the, what this did for indoor lacrosse. Like Just seeing that on display was incredible. The atmosphere was unbelievable. But on the floor... What Colorado did defensively against the best offense in the league, and, and one of the best we've seen put together in recent memory here in the NLL, they, this Buffalo offense was held to single-digit goals once during the regular season. It was the last game of the year against Toronto, which essentially didn't matter for Buffalo. They were held once all season long, and Colorado holds them to single digits in back-to-back -back games in the biggest games of the year with Buffalo with a, a, a championship on the line. That is Unbelievable. Like what they did, that performance is just like remarkable. And the question had always been could Colorado score to keep up with Buffalo? And not only, obviously, they did the defensive enough. job, yeah. they did enough there, but they did it in those games two and three without probably their two best scorers. Two of their I, top three scorers I, in the year. Completely not. I mean, Eli McLaughlin, he had. He played in five playoff games, and they didn't have him after game one. He led the playoffs in scoring. He didn't play in game two or three, two games that Colorado won. He had 41 points in the playoffs. That's because other guys stepped up. Connor Robinson had the second most points in the playoffs in the five games he played, or six or seven, I can't remember what it was now, 38 points in total. But the guy, to me, that really kind of – I know Zed Williams had a huge series. Yeah. We talked about him. He's one who really stepped up and um, was a producer for them. Tyson Gibson. A trade deadline acquisition. They um, got rid of Tyler Digby, a guy that had been there a couple years. They chipped out a draft pick as well. But remember when Gibson came out, you know, and, and he was that top pick for the Riptide, and everyone talked about how much of a winner he was. Victoria Shamrocks, he won the Man Cup with them, and, they, you know, they liked him in the Riptide because he was a winner. And you could feel that, that he made some of those sneaky little plays. He had a couple points here and there along the series and over the course of the playoffs. To me, that, that really stuck out as you bring another guy that knows how to win in, and that are the, those kind of pieces are the difference between a championship and, and winning and coming in second. Yeah, for sure. And along those lines, you mentioned Zed Williams. And mm. the game he had in game three is just, 
I feel like is what we've come to expect from Zed Williams. Like, this guy just – this guy wins. Like, he was yeah. an unbelievable scorer. I mean, it goes back with what he did in high school as the all-time leading goal scorer in the state of New York and all the goals he scored there. And he, and he was a terrific player at Virginia – but then you look what he did in the PLL last year with the Whip Snakes and how, like, that was Matt Rambo's team before. And then here comes Zed. Well, I guess it was in the championship series. Right. But then, and then last year continued it. Like, he has just this ability to take his teams to the next level. And a guy that, like, throughout the, in, the, throughout the season, he was good. But, like, there were times it was kind of up and down. For him, like, it was just like, it's something went on. He's like, all right, well, we need me, they need me to step up. Here we go. He gives you exactly what you need. And we had Jake Elliott on a couple weeks ago now, and he mentioned with Zed, he goes, yeah, like you said, Travis, over the course of the regular season, he kind of took a step back. And he knew his role. And, and you hear anybody talk about him, and you hear his interviews. He is as uh, discerning as he a – He deflects. As a, he deflects as much as anybody else in the sport of not about him. And you, that you can see that in the way he kind of – finds his role in a team and for him that role in the regular season was taking a step back letting some of the other guys take it but then for him to have the awareness to be like oh this has to be a moment that I step up and the team needs me and for him to be able just to come through and do it I think says a lot about him and, and the kind of player he is too because you're able to fit in a lot of this some guys can do one thing and do it really well they have to be the guy or nothing else but for Zed Williams I mean I know Dylan Ward won the MVP but if Dylan Ward has maybe 45 saves Zed Williams is probably the MVP yeah and, and you mentioned Eli McLaughlin not being there but I mean, Ryan Lee was one of the best players in the league all year. Mm-hmm. He's one of the top scorers in the league. Like, think about like you think about taking Dane Smith away from Buffalo, and yeah, there's still a bunch of really good pieces, but like, that's your guy. Yeah. Colorado didn't have their guy for the entire finals, and you you only lose by one in game one, and then you go ahead and win games two and three. Like, there aren't a lot of teams at any level in any sport that can do it without the guy who's the guy on your offense, and Colorado did it. They did, uh, and they did it in a tough environment. And, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and they did it against a team in Buffalo that I think a lot of people maybe would have assumed that by now they would have had two championships, maybe three. I mean, you look at... Of course, the last season and a half were canceled, and their window, it looked like the window was wide open. All of a sudden, it's closing a little bit more. Some guys are getting a little older. I think they're going to be right back there again this season. I'm not saying that yeah. they're not going to be contending once again, but every time you don't win one, the window closes a little bit, right? And I feel like starting in 2019, when they had such a great team then, too, that that was kind of their window opening, and they have not even they haven't won a championship yet. Yeah, I mean, they haven't won since 08. And I, the offense is one thing. I think it's the back end with Matt Vince, where you feel like you're, the window closes. Yeah. Like, because... I mean, he turned 40 during this postseason. Like, I mean, it's, uh, clearly he's not – he hasn't slowed down because he's still one of the best – one of, if not the best goaltender in, in the indoor game, though Dylan Ward obviously had something to say about that in these finals. But Vince was spectacular. Like, he only gave up 10 goals in this, this finals. Like, most often – more often than not, Vince giving up 10 goals for that Buffalo team, you're going to win almost every single mm -hmm. week. Yeah. And, and you got to give a lot of credit to Dylan Ward and the defense at the other end for Colorado for not letting that happen. But that's where you feel like I think the window could be closing is that, like, how many more years of Matt Vince being this good do you have? Yeah, you know, and 
you think about how they formulated that team and then brought Vince in, you know, that's also he came in later on, obviously late in his career. So if they are able to find somebody either in the draft or acquisition wise to help fill that gap after this, after he is done, well, I mean, it could, it could be around another five years. I don't know. I mean, they, they, I mean, yeah. they, they could win another three. He's like the Tom they could Brady. Win three of the next five championships and everyone's not talking about this. He's right? like the Tom Brady of the yeah. NLL, yeah. Matt Vince. He's going to play until he's 45. Yeah. We'll see how Buffalo sort of responds to this next year. Because I think that'll be really interesting. The East is tough and getting tougher. Yeah. You know, we, we kind of bashed the West a little bit all year long, but it, the West at the end of the day had the last laugh. It's <laughs> and, true. And so and so did Dylan Ward. 55 saves on 63 shots. And I want to mention, I rewatched this game earlier this week uh, after Saturday night, and watching the fourth quarter, first of all, like to see all those goals that were scored, and then things came to a screeching halt. <laughs> yeah. Like the defenses were like, no more. The fourth quarter, the penalty kill against a really good Buffalo team. And Colorado goes man down, and they have got a guy in the box for two minutes with about five minutes remaining. Yeah. And they kill off that penalty with a two-goal lead. Like, that is big-time stuff. That is championship-level stuff yeah. to finish off. Like, that, is, that, that was proving, like, this isn't a fluke. Like, we are the team. This year. Yeah, because at that, that point you cut the lead to one and anything can happen. Right. right? I then mean, it's a new game. And then you don't know what can happen. And you keep that cushion against a good offense like that. You don't let them get out to a run. You don't let them start and get a spark because I think that's what Buffalo was kind of missing was kind of that spark goal. We saw Byrne try a couple of crazy yeah. things, you know, down that stretch to try and get everybody going. But Ward was really good at the end. I mean, he was not going to be stopped on this day. And, and, and that was – I was saying this. I felt like, you know, looking at it hindsight – that was the prediction we should have made. It said if Colorado were to win, Ward was going to be the MVP I did, with 50-plus saves. Oh, congratulations. I said that well, last well, week. I'm, I not, said, I'm talking about myself right now. Okay, well, Internally, I, that's what I should have said. I just want to put it out there. And I, we agreed on that. I did pick Buffalo, but I did say at the end of last week's show, you can go back and listen, that if Colorado wins, Dylan, yeah. it's because – Dylan Ward has a terrific yeah, game. And, we knew, and he was great in game two, too. Right, and, and you always know with Dylan Ward, he has the ability to make yes. that happen. Not every – I mean, some guys are consistent. Some guys um, do other things really well. He has the ability to do exactly what he did in the finals. And there aren't many that can. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, there's guys that go off and have great games, but in the biggest moment, I trust Dylan Ward. Yeah, you can He's probably, won a lot. There's probably like – you can count them on maybe like two or three fingers, the guys yeah. that you can trust to do that in, in the cage in the NLL, and he's one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get right to him right now. We spoke to Dylan Ward. So the MVP of the NLL Finals, champion Colorado Mammoth, Dylan Ward joins us now. Dylan, thanks for the time, man. What's it been like since Saturday? Has it all set in yet? Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. We, uh, we've been having some fun with the trophy, taking around Denver, had a good party after the game on, on Saturday night and uh, feeling it today. But uh, no, it's been, it's been awesome. What's the best thing you've done with the trophy so far? Um, I mean, I think just being with it, just have, being able to, we have it. Uh, we, won, we won the championship. It's our trophy for the year. And uh, just be able to parade it around town. You know, we, we took it out to, to lunch with us yesterday and uh, a couple spots uh, in between before we went to a watch party for the abs. And, you know, we, we got stopped by a lot of people who were, who were fired up for us and uh, were congratulating us, asking for pictures and stuff. So that was, that was pretty cool. You know, I, I think one of the coolest things about ha having seen you guys go through winning this championship 
was like the crowds, whether it was there in Colorado or in Buffalo, and then they're showing you guys on the big screen during game two of the Stanley Cup finals back at, at, at Ball Arena. Like, I mean, the crowd to me in both places, and especially your fans, has just been unbelievable. Explain how that how, how that's made you feel as a lacrosse player, and if there's any been any other time you felt like this, because it, it seems to have been really special. Yeah, it's been incredible. Um, you know, the fans throughout the entire championship were, were awesome. They were so loud in, in Buffalo and in Colorado. And, you know, afterwards to, to see the, the, the abs give us a bit of a shout out on the Jumbotron during their game was, was incredible. And, uh, you know, again, like I said, when we were walking around yesterday with the trophy, I, uh, a handful of people who stopped us, you know, told us they were at the game. And it was so awesome to see the, the abs show it on the, on the Jumbotron. So, it's been really cool. The fan support's been incredible. My social media has been been going bananas. I, I haven't been able to keep up with it. But, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun. How satisfying was this run? I mean, you went in as the three C due to the tiebreakers and all that, but still you had to go on the road, and then the bandits favored, and everyone talking about them all year long. What was this run like? How great has it been, the feeling of being able to be that underdog and go and win it all? Yeah, it's been special. Um you know, we were, I, I want to say we were underdogs in every single game this playoffs. And, uh, you know, to, to lose Ryan Lee in the, the conference finals and then Eli after game one of the, the championship series, um, you know, we, we were just a resilient group. We, we stuck together. We, we, we found a way to, to not only win one game, but, but to win two and win a championship series. And, and, um, you know, this group was, was awesome. There was no doubt in our room ever. And, uh, you know, we just, we just always had each other's back. You said there's no doubt. Where did that belief come from? Why? Um, you know, I think it's just, it, it was instilled in us from our coaches. Uh, you know, they, they believed in, in the group that we had. Um, they thought they didn't, they, they didn't think that us losing Ryan Lee and Eli McLaughlin were going to, you know, be the, the end of us. And, um, you know, they, they instilled some game plans that, uh, that, that led to our success. And, you know, obviously having Zed Williams go off the way he did uh, in, the, in the championship series was something special. And if you were to ask him about it, he wouldn't talk about himself for a second, but that's just the kind of guy he is. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a special win top to bottom. You've won a lot of places throughout your career. You've won a number of championships. Where does winning an NLL title rank with all the work you've put in indoors? Yeah, it's got to be up there near the top. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of a lot of very special teams and a lot of very talented teams. And uh, But to, to win a, a championship with Colorado Mammoth and, uh, you know, my now home of Denver, Colorado is, uh, is something special. And and, uh, you know, I know this organization really cares a lot about the, this team. Our fan base cares a lot about this team. And to bring this back to the city of Denver is, uh, is awesome. What was the common trait among some of these championship teams? What, major series lacrosse, world championship with Canada on the indoor stage, uh, MLL as well. Was there something underlying trait that kind of connected all these? Correct me if I missed any either along the way, too. <laughs> Uh, there's a couple, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> I'm you trying. Know, the, it's a lot to remember. Off the top <laughs> <of my head. laughs> um, I honestly, the, the, the one thing that really sticks out to all those teams was just the locker room and, uh, you know, just how much, you know, the guys got along and, and how much everyone cares about each other. You know, it's so cliche to, to, to talk about how, how important a locker room is, but 
you know, it really does come down to that. And, and you need guys who care about each other and, and have each other's back. And, you know, um, like, like I said, like we lost our two leading scorers um, in our playoff run. And, and if we didn't care about them as much as we did and we didn't get along as, as well as we did in that locker room, who knows if we were able to, to pull that out against Buffalo. So I think, you know, each team is, was different. Each fabric was different, but at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the camaraderie and the, you know, the, the, the way that the teams were able to gel um, was what led us to those championships. I mean, you guys defensively in this series against Buffalo, like Buffalo was held to single digits once all season in terms of scoring. You guys do it in back-to-back games to win they were talking about it on the broadcast, and I wonder from your sp- perspective, y- you guys obviously did a really good job keeping those shots outside, which probably helped you. Mm-hmm. What, what was the game plan in order to do that? Because it seems so simple, like, hey, make him shoot from further out, but y- you guys were able to execute when other people weren't. Yeah. You know, I guess I can say it now, but our game plan was to, to make the lefties beat us. Um, you know, we know that they have – very strong righties and Tahoka had five goals on us in game one. Dane Smith is obviously Dane Smith. Um, and we just felt like we, for us to be successful, we really wanted to make the, the lefties have to, to, to do most of the work. And, you know, anytime that Dane had the ball or Tahoka had the ball and they were trying to get to the goal, we, we, we sent doubles early, tried to get the ball out of their stick. And, um, you know, we did a really good job of, of doing that and then making them the, the rest of their offense take shots from, you know, not as desirable spots, which were from the outside, mostly down the alleys. Um, we were able to smother rebounds. You know, they're a really good team at, at flying around for, for rebounds and getting second, third, fourth possession. So we just did a really good job of limiting their opportunities, forcing guys who we wanted to shoot to shoot and uh, capitalizing when we had the chance to, to get the ball to our offense. Knowing Matt Vince is on the other end, is that at all in the back of your mind, knowing, hey, I got to also step up my game here too? Um, I mean, not really. I mean, obviously, you know, I know, like, Matt Vince is, is our, the, the, the best goal I'd ever play in the NLL. But I'm not actively thinking about that. You know, I'm more worried about myself and, and our team and our game and, uh, you know, just making one save at a time and, and giving our ch- our, ourselves a chance to, to win the game. The penalty kill in the fourth quarter, it, it, was that when you felt like, I mean, I'm sure you're not giving up a second, but like you guys kill that penalty off. That felt like that was the defining moment down the stretch where you guys were, were going to win this thing. Uh, personally, I did. I thought <laughs> that when we killed that, I thought, you know, I was feeling really good. Our defense, you know, was, was doing a really good job and their offense just really couldn't get much going. When we killed that penalty off, I, I, in the back of my mind, my thought was we did it. And, um, you know, obviously there was still some time that we needed to, to kill off. But they, like you said, I feel like that was like the defining moment when we killed that penalty. It was like, all right, we, we had one hand on the trophy at that point. How surreal was this season? I mean, you guys hadn't been out on the floor for a year and a half. I mean, you kind of yeah. think about that. It's, it's kind of crazy to think about, right? Yeah, yeah, it was special. And, uh, you know, again, like we, we got into the playoffs at 10 and 8. You know, we weren't, we weren't by any means uh, the, the top dog in the, in the league. We grinded our way into the playoffs and, and we grinded our way through the playoffs. It was, it was special and it was a special group to, to win this with, special organization. And, and like you said, it had been a year and a half. So to be able to, to come out after COVID and, and win this championship after so much downtime, it's, it's awesome. All right, so when do we see PLL Dylan Ward here now in the field game? 
<laughs> yeah, so the plan is for me to, to be there in Baltimore this week. Uh, I'm not sure the status on, on, on whether I'm going to play or not, but uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there. I'm going to be practicing, getting my reps in and uh, seeing how I feel. Uh, definitely have some bumps and bruises from the, the NLL season, but yeah, hopefully we'll be back on the PLL field uh, sooner rather than later. But a group of guys, right, all kind of doing the same thing, you know, all those NFL yeah. guys from both the Bandits, of course, you know, the chaos ties. But you too, I mean, that's, that's a, quite the transition to make in a quick amount of time. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it is quick. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's the life of a professional lacrosse player right there. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think we talked about this before. How, like, how long does it feel you – does it uh, get, take you to feel comfortable again, like, playing field lacrosse? Um. Honestly, it, it depends. You know, it is it is a feel like you just got to get back to, to the feel of it. At the end of the day, I'm still a goalie, so I need to stop the ball, hopefully more times with my stick rather than my body in field with uh, with no equipment. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get out there this week. We'll see how I'm feeling. Um, you know, I've got some I've got my gear here. Probably get some reps before I head out to Baltimore on Thursday. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just take it from there. Hey, you know what the positive is? I don't think you're going to have to make 50 saves in a PLL game. So that's a positive. That is true. <laughs> Does that mean you have to stop celebrating? You know, like you don't get that much time. There's a quick turnaround. I just got, it'll be different celebrating. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> that's one way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Dylan, man, uh, congratulations again. Oh, it was an incredible run that you guys went on to, to win this championship. Enjoy it. And we're looking forward to seeing you back on the PLL field. All right. No, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me, guys. So congratulations once again to the Mammoth. But don't fret because more NLL later on this week. Protected rosters are due <laughs> Thursday because you've got a new team. Quick quick turnover. Right? If you're the Mammoth and Bandits, you just you know, it's like the NBA. Like the, we just finished the finals and all of a sudden you got the draft got on the draft. Thursday, yeah, so. so you got the Las Vegas... The desert De dog. Desert dog. I know it was some sort of dog. I was going to say river dogs, but no, I mean, and there could be a river dog at some point. Dogs. Who knows? Dogs test well. I can't stop thinking about Ted Lasso. Mm, the diamond, the diamond dogs. dogs. Yeah, the whenever diamond I dogs. think of the desert dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Maybe we can get some merch going on. Well, I'm sure there will be. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, they do have merch. Yeah, there I'd are. Like there is, there's plenty of it. And I have to check that out. Go to NLL.com for more. All right. Let's go to the PLL. They are all they about also the merch. Have merch. They invented a whole team, the Beans, to sell merchandise. They did. Which is correct. has worked. So don't fault them for that. No, it's good. So they just had another weekend. Um, and Long Island. In Long Island. And they inducted a Hall of Fame class and, and all of that. But we also had games. So... What are the headlines that have come out of this weekend as we look ahead to Baltimore this weekend? First off, you mentioned the Hall of Fame. Those jackets were stellar. The Hall of Fame jackets, the gold. Tom doesn't like it. I, I, Tom, Tom, please let's. <laughs> I didn't. We need to just get a planned. get a shot on Tom. I, I think that, that I'm glad that the greats of the game were honored. That's first and foremost, and I think that there was a place for that, and that was necessary. You don't like the I jackets? I just don't know about the color. I mean, the NFL has the gold jacket, well, you know, I mean, and I feel you, like that is it just. I don't understand it. I think maybe you could have picked a different color. What color would you have liked? I don't you know. You can't go green because Augusta. Yep, right. Like there's a, there's example A do, right you there. Can't you can't do like navy or black because then like they're just any other jacket. You could have put a nice little crest on there or something if you wanted. You could have done a light blue. A light blue would have been nice maybe, you know. Okay. 
or, or a different iteration that wasn't almost a spitting I mean, image of the NFL Hall gold, of Fame so. gold jacket. No, I understand what the colors are. All right. League. Well, anyway, I'm sorry I brought that up. I was a fan of the gold jacket. It was something I that I, the had, guys look sharp. I had not expressed that to anybody in my life. No. I, but it was an internal conversation I had had that I was like, you know, the gold, just, it's too similar to the NFL for me. But I'm, I'm glad they honored the people. I just didn't like the color of the jacket. All right. Anyway, <laughs> let's get to PLL headlines oh, yeah. from what we saw on the field uh, at Hofstra. Uh, I'll go with my first one. Archer's bullseye. Uh, they hanged 20 goals on the Cannons. This was a game at halftime on ABC on Saturday afternoon. And then the second half happened, and the Archers just, like, bulldozed the formerly yep. team formerly known as the Boston Cannons. I, th- I think this Archers team being 2-1 and one now to start the year, without Grand Amen, he was a late scratch. It looked like he was actually going to go for this game, and then it ended up they kept him off the field. So we'll see what that means for him coming back. But also without Connor Fields, who has been playing with the, the Bandits here in the NLL. Those are two good pieces, but I think we've seen an emergence from Matt Moore who is a, was, seems to be a really good addition to this offense. Tom Schreiber, you know what you're going to get. And Will Manny leads the league in like every offensive statistical category uh, beside assists. So I, you, they, I think it feels like they're starting to read, like this is their potential. Like they have the potential to hang 20 goals, I think, on almost anybody in the league with the talent they have on offense. I was glad to see them get there against a Cannons team that I think early in the year felt like it was, it was a team that could contend for a title. Yeah, I mean, this is what should be the norm for the Archers. Yes. It has been the last two weeks. Yeah. Probably should have been for the last four years. I mean, we talked right. about it um, prior to the season, I believe. Yeah. Or maybe even after they had a, a bad offensive performance in week one. So, yeah, this is this is what it should be. We shouldn't be surprised by this, no. right? With the talent they have in their roster, this is what it is. And you should expect more of that moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Holman, they were Manny. Called, they were called the Archers because of this. Right. No, they, that was the, the whole That theme. was the reason that was their name. Right? Yes. That, that because they had all these great scorers, that was the reason they invented this name around this team. And here we are, year four, week <laughs> three. And we're get, they're saying, hopefully here we getting go. There. We did it. We're we, hopefully we, getting we there. We figured it out. Uh, and you're right. They've been great the last two weeks. We'll see if they can do this moving forward. I would like to see this continue. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I'm on the bandwagon. I've been on the Archers bandwagon since day one. I know. Come on, guys. Yeah, but the, back in the Kevin Rice era of yeah. the Archers back in 2019. Um, and All right, so I'm going to move on. Yeah, what do you got? I'm going to focus on the chrome here, okay. and mine's going to be Sudan is shining because Tim Sudan has done, I mean, shining, chrome, yeah. helmet, the whole deal. They, got, they just debuted the new helmets this past weekend. So you look at what the chrome started with, and it's really – I'm glad that we've had some time now because you have a little bit of history here in the PLL to see where a team started and where they are now, which I love. You know, finally you can have some retrospect and all that. Yeah. 2019, they were an offense, so more or less guided by Wolf, Gutterding, Gaudet, and Crotty. Yeah. And 2020, they're a team guided by Wisnowskis, Nick Turn, Malloy. 2022. I don't know yeah. what year it is. 2022, it's Logan Wisnowskis, Brendan Nick Turn. You've got Dylan Malloy, and then as a couple other guys get them their mix in, Jackson Morrill and Colin Heacock are also a part of this offense. You have Justin Anderson on the midfield has been really good. Ryan Tarafanko, just a Tim Sudan type guy. Oh yeah. JT Giles Harris on defense. They're a completely different team than when they start, and it feels like four years isn't a long time, but it feels like a long time that it was the Jordan Wolf Chrome era, right? 
Well, and this was one of the things we were talking about the different eras last week about like how it feels like the league has yeah. kind of changed, turned a page because of all the different retirements we saw of guys who had been kind of the guys of professional lacrosse in the MLL that made this tra transition to the PLL. And this is one of those teams. Like it's like all of a sudden, all the guys for two, three years that we were talking about in the college game now are professionals. And now this is their team. They're not just like an extra piece on a team with a, with these veteran guys. It's, okay, this offense is now yours. Right. Let's see what you can do. And, and I think that that's the future, obviously. Yeah. We talked so much about the Atlas, who lost to the Whip Snakes, but that's a We'll get to story. that in a we'll second. We'll get to that in a second. But they, you know, we talked a lot about the Atlas. Maybe now that the Cromer 3-0, and people will start looking like, oh, they've completely changed the way they look, the way they are formulated and what they look like. And, and they've done it with a lot of talent. And, you know, you get a draft with Logan Wisnowski and Brendan Nickturn. That's as good as a draft as anybody, right? right? And you know what? You, you talk about, like, if this, and this dates back to the Rattlers, like the type of player that Tim Sudan likes. Mm. Like, Nick Turn and Wisnowskis fit right into that mold. And, and Like, they, Wisnowskis is a quiet, like, I don't need to talk to the media. I don't need to do anything on Instagram and social media. Like, I'm, I'm just going to go out there and play and be great. And you look at, uh, like, a guy like Garrett Thule who had come from Army, like a Nick Turn who just, like, was this great leader and the type of guy you wanted to have in the locker room. And that's what we, you see from a, a guy like Nick Turn. Like, these are, despite the fact that it's like a new era, it's the same type of guys that you saw Tim Sudan coach with the Rattlers. Right. And for having those two together, and it's it's, it's interesting because you have a gray teat with Atlas right now. And, and they're also different personalities yeah. a bit. And you have Nick Turn with Nauskas. Very different, but complement each other personality-wise really well. Not just on the field, but with the way they, they conduct themselves. They really work together, I think, really well, and that's helped them really be successful. And also, I have to say, like Dylan, seeing Dylan Malloy, mm. the way he's played at the beginning of this year, like this is what you knew I think he could be coming out of college when he was at Brown, won a Tawarton. Like, he is... There's a reason he won a Tawarton and got Brown to the Final Four that year under Lars Tiffany. Like, he is great. And he's, like, in shape. He's slimmed down. I couldn't believe. Maybe it's, like, the not seeing the shoulder pads and stuff. But, like, I couldn't believe how good he looked yeah. on the field. Like, he is there and ready to play. And seeing him excited to play in the PLL, I, this, that is another different differentiator on this offense. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting just how some of these teams have changed their makeup and done it so effectively you know, sure. over the course of the four years that we've had this league, and I, I think they've done a really good job of that. Um, they play the Atlas this week. More on that in a moment. That's okay. my next headline. Um, uh, speaking of the Atlas, they had a tough loss, uh, first loss of the season for them, and that leads me to my next headline. Welcome to the Snake Pit. Because Good one. the Whip Snakes, it's, I mean, they haven't gone anywhere. Like, I mean, this team, obviously. Which I said last week. You're right. And we had this conversation. We had this conversation, and, and I said, asked, yeah, we had I the, thought the see, Atlas If you're going to take credit them. for your NLL takes, I'll take credit for my PLL ones. You can't. You can take credit for this. I mean, you go up and down with this uh, Whip Snakes team. Joe Nardellis, despite the fact that he lost the battle to Trevor Baptiste this past week, he still is the second-best face-off man in the league. He's up there over 60%. Uh, the balanced offense that oh by the way we mentioned Zed Williams he's gonna get yeah. added to this offense which is just absurd because then you look at the midfield and like the attack unit's been fine like balanced out but this midfield with between Chan and Chuck Cole Brad Smith yeah. and Connor Kirst those guys are shut like that you're just they're running at you in waves 
And then, I mean, the defense is the defense. Like, you know what you're going to get from Kyle Burnlor and the guys that are in front of him. They, 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 are, they, they have been one of the reasons they've won back-to-back uh, -back titles and have been to the championship all three years here in the PLL. But the, all the balance they have up and down the field, you're going to add Zed Williams to the mix. This team is they're, – they're still legit. I mean, you can tell. I mean, and it's interesting that there's experience, you know, at the yeah. end of the day. The Atlas team, as we talked about, very young. And that makes a difference, especially when you're going up against a team like the Whipsnakes who can handle the ebbs and flow as a game. And I think that the Whipsnakes have that experience and they have the experience of winning now. At, you know, they did it a couple times. They've been in the championship three times in a row. So it's hard to pick against them in that facet. And like you said, they get Zed Williams back too. So watch out, rest of the league, because they haven't gone – they've been the best team, you know, from day one. For the most, obviously, chaos won it last year, but still, I mean, they've been the most successful thus far for a reason. And that's why last week when we talked about this, I thought, not just yet. You know what I mean? The yeah, changing maybe. of the guard hasn't happened yet. It could during the playoffs, who knows? But at this point, not yet. Yeah. Uh, by the way, one shout out for the Atlas. Congrats to Kobe Smith for that first career goal. Mm -hmm. Winding, firing, two point range. Yeah. That's what we saw throughout his Towson career, and it's why I knew he was going to thrive in this environment in the PLL with the rules and the uh, increased uh, uh, transition game and all that. I mean, he's he's going to be a special player. He probably would have had some twos if there was a line in college, Oh, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah he can, he's got range, man. What's a rules year, right? Rule change year? The, I, I think the two-point line is behind the face-off and some other things. Got, the, the goal you know, mouth, yes. Goal mouth. Everything yeah, gotta, is takes. Got to worry about the goal the mouth. Goal mouth. First. We're talking about that we'll every two there, years at, at nausea. Anyway. Uh, yeah, what, yeah, what's your last one? Mine is um, the shots you save. You know, like the love you save, like the Jackson 5 song, like stop the shots you save. Um, so this is looking ahead to this weekend. And you have a couple of goalies here, Atlas and Chrome going at a good game. We just talked about these teams, yep. the two younger ones in the league. You got Concanon just made 17 saves against the Whipsnakes, even though they lost, stopping 62% of the shots he faced. And then you got Sean Scannone, who's been pretty good too. 54%, 12 saves against the Water Dogs for the Chrome. So this is a battle between two good young teams and I think it's going to come down to which one of these goalies has a better day because the offense is as we talked about really dynamic you got all these young players out there Gray, Teat, Wisnowskis, Nick Turn who's going to be the best goalie on the day can Cannon or Scannone and I like both of them and a couple of CAA guys too yeah shout out to UMass and Hofstra uh Kate Cannon having a chance to go home, get to mm -hmm. play at uh, play on his home field from from Hofstra back in the day but yeah I, I love both of these goalies I, I think they it, guys that I felt like when they were in college didn't uh, – actually, it's next week, Atlas Chrome. Apparently. Yeah, 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 moving forward. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm looking ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I thought they had good games this weekend, right. and now I'm excited for the shots they save next weekend. Both these guys, Sorry. when they were in college, like we had a chance to see how good they were. And you would talk to, like, whether it was Greg Canella or uh, Seth Tierney in, in school. They, like, they knew what they had. They didn't quite get the shine when mm -hmm. they were in school, but, like, now they're getting it. Like, they – are two of the top eight, nine goalies in in the world. Right. Like yeah. that's they have the spots. Yeah. Right? They're playing on, in the PLL. Like that's the top. There are a lot right? of spots and they're <laughs> no, they're there. Aren't there. Many. there aren't many, you're right. And they're proving that they're that good, that they're staying there. Yeah. That's so good for them. Yeah. You know, and you look at and see what the next generation of that will be, and it feels like that's going to be more and more of those guys. If they get to think about who they took the place of in one way or another, and you know, obviously John Galloway moving on from the Chrome and Sean Scannone filling those shoes nicely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, PLL is uh, at Homewood Field, Hopkins this weekend for uh, for a big weekend. A couple of night games.
Friday and Saturday, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that's no. that's correct. So. You know, and, and one of the um, you know the people that we talked about a lot, Logan Wisnowskis, obviously played for such a great coach and, and Bobby Benson there at Maryland and offensive uh, coordinator, and offensive coordinator, and did such a great job with that program, and now taking the job over with Providence, um, such a cool move for him too. So that's what we're transitioning to now, obviously. Yeah. So college coaching search has kind of come to an end for all these Division One schools. Bobby Benson, one of those coaches that's in a new spot. We had a chance to catch up with the new Friars head coach earlier this week. The new coach of Providence College, Bobby Benson, joins us now. Bobby, congratulations on the new gig. What made Providence the, the right fit for you? Because I, I know this has been obviously something you probably wanted. What made Providence the right fit at the right time for you to become a head coach? Yeah, I was super excited uh, to, to get the opportunity at Providence. It's a school that's really been close to you know, my family and my heart for a while. Uh, my, my wife's an alum. She, uh, she speaks so highly of this school. And what's always impressed me is every single one of her friends love their experience at Providence College. They're all still attached together. They all still talk about it. They go back for reunion things. Uh, my wife's been able to be active on some of the boards in the business school and, and whatnot. And, you know, just their love for the school and, and the success of the athletic program there in the Big East and nationally uh, made it a really great opportunity and made it kind of an ideal fit for me. Yeah, you mentioned that opportunity, and I, I see that with, with Providence. The facility there, that lacrosse stadium that they share with the soccer program is just beautiful. It's awesome. I mean, it just feels like a place that you can compete. And you're in a conference in the Big East that obviously is competitive, but it feels like Providence could be right there competing with the top teams in the league as they have in, here in, in, not, uh, in the not-too-distance past. What do you see in terms of competing in that league and the opportunity with Providence? We're really excited about our potential in the Big East. I think if you look at the other sports, basketball, soccer, hockey, uh, maybe not in the Big East, but, you know, uh, even nationally, um, they've all had a ton of success. And what they've done with the facility, what they've done with the athletic department, um, their commitment to being a great lacrosse team is unwavering. And, you know, I'm really excited about that. And I'm excited about our potential in the conference and nationally. Your uh, offensive scheme uh, obviously is has been well known from what you did at Hopkins and then obviously here in the last two years at Maryland. How, how do you look at it? Because even the last two years at Maryland, you guys had all the talent in the world, but they were different because of the different personnel you have every year. Like, take me inside your mind when, when you see your team at the beginning of a season and how you try to develop the scheme as to what you have in terms of personnel and, and how that all fits. Yeah, we want to play an offense that's as free-flowing and, and as little scripted as possible. Um, you know, obviously there's been some little quick hitters that we've ran in the past and different things we've done with some schemes. But for the most part, we want to take the power out of the coach's hands and put it in the player's hands. And, and I think to do that, you'd start the year with a blank slate and, and it starts to develop and evolve. Um, it, it's almost more artistic than scientific at times. And you start to figure out how you can have success. These two are really good in the pit game. This guy's really good coming off a screen, you know, and then how can we kind of figure out a way to let them free flow and play and, and 
you know, attack in ways that, you know, help us the most. Um, and, and when you combine that with then, you know, each game going in and saying, well, this team might struggle in the invert, or if we pick with number 76, or if we pick on number, you know, 12, um, those things can, you know, kind of help move the needle as well. And, and ultimately, you just want to find a way to get a good shot on each possession. And, uh, you know, you put a lot of trust in the guys. We talk a ton about um, decision-making, risk management based on the shot clock, trying to keep pressure on the defense for all 60 seconds. We don't want to come down and get our guys on and throw the ball around for 20 seconds. And now we're playing a 40-second shot clock. Uh, we, we want to have pressure on them in the four-on-four, in the five-on-five, in the six-on-six. But with that, we don't want to add any risk where we're going to take unnecessary chances early, because oftentimes if you make a defense defend for 60 seconds, you're going to end up with a good opportunity and then you have to be ready to score it. Um, but you can be pretty low risk if you're keeping pressure on a defense for 60 seconds. Opportunities start to pop up. And how can we put just enough pressure on a defense for an opportunity to pop up throughout the possession? So obviously a lot of it is you put the power in the players' hands, as, as you mentioned. I, I wonder how different or similar was it to coach these last two Maryland teams where you have an athlete like Jared Bernhardt uh, that we may have not have seen in college lacrosse ever, and then you go to, obviously, all the talent you had on this team th this past year, but you don't have Jared Bernhardt, who obviously commanded so much attention. How, did the, how similar or different were those two teams? I think every team's very different and takes on a dynamic of its own. Uh, you know, Jared was unbelievably good and unbelievably talented, um, you know, but the, the other guys found a way to step up and do great things. Um, I remember when I was at Hopkins in 07 and 08 coaching Paul Rabel, Stephen Pizer, when they left, it was how are we going to score without, you know, those guys? Cause the only person I've coached that's close to Jared's probably Paul in terms of athleticism and, uh, you know, just ability to kind of take over. Um, and, you know, th those guys in 2009 found their way and each team's different. And I think that's the exciting part is how can we mold kind of form, um, you know, this offensive identity this year and how does this group come together and, and really putting that in the players' hands and, you know, how, how are you guys going to find ways to be successful and what can you do to help the team? And, and, you know, over the course of time, you know, you just start tweaking it and massaging it and, you know, moving the needle one way, then moving it back the other way. And you hope you find a nice little happy medium where you can wind up getting good shots on every possession. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, Hopkins, and obviously throughout your career, you've had a chance to coach with, with some of the, the be best in the game. Obviously, John Tillman here the last couple of years. Before that, it was Dave Petromala, Don Zimmerman early in your coaching career. Now that you're a head coach, what do you feel like you take away from some of those experiences that now you look to apply to, to Providence? Oh, yeah, I think every coach you, you take something from, right? I, I think that that's you know, the, the ability to be a good assistant is probably the ability to learn and take something from all of those guys. And whether it's, you know, the skill work of coach them or the poise of coach Tillman or the, the competitiveness, competitiveness and defensive schemes of coach Petro or the passion that coach Tillman, uh, coach Toomey has, I'm sorry. Um, you know, you, you try to take something from each one and hopefully I can take something good from each one and hopefully we can come together and, you know, I'm super excited to get up to Friartown and I'm super excited to start working with the guys on that team and look forward to, you know, building our own identity and, you know, getting competitive in the Big East. Well, uh, 
it's been a busy uh, stretch here for you. Obviously, you win a national championship with Maryland. Now you, you go through the process of getting this head coaching job at Providence. And you're also getting ready for the World Games this summer as an assistant uh, for the Team USA for sixes. You're down there at Baltimore now. We are talking about this before. Designing an offense for sixes has to be so unique in this process of coaching because this hasn't done, been done before. Like It's a blank slate in terms of strategy and how you coach this team. When you're trying to figure out how this works, what have you been trying to do uh, here with Coach Andy Shea? The sixes discipline has been really exciting. I came in not knowing what to expect. And as I told you before, I absolutely love it. I think that our youth would benefit greatly if they were playing sixes and not attack midi defense. Uh, I think that the college guys would benefit from playing sixes. And, you know, hopefully we can fit it in some up in Providence. Uh, we fitted it in Maryland last year and played some. Uh, you know, I, I think that I was benefited uh, in Sixers offense from probably the way we play offense uh, at Maryland and at Hopkins. Um, I spent a lot of time kind of I'm a basketball junkie, so I spent a lot of time watching basketball offenses. Uh, a lot of what we do is basketball based uh, kind of basketball motion offense ideas. And so I think that, you know, when you combine a basketball motion offense and field lacrosse, you kind of form what you would want to do in sixes. And so that's kind of where we started. And then again, you just kind of massage it, mold it, move the needle one way, move the needle another way until you find something that not only works for the discipline, but works for the players you have on the team and also works hopefully against the, uh, the players that you're going to play against. Uh, the one thing that I think is challenging is, not knowing a ton about who we're going to play against, how they're going to play. There's going to be a lot of uh, unfamiliar circumstances that probably come up throughout the games being the first time ever. And how we navigate those will probably be important too. Yeah, I was going to say the adjustments it seem like they're going to be fascinating because first of all, like there's not a lot of time on the sideline. So making adjustments on the fly is going to be tough. But then like at halftime, between quarters, between games, it feels like that that could be a huge part of this too. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes and what you're able to do and what works and what doesn't work. Um, I, I think one thing in this discipline with a fast shot clock and super talented players, you don't want to overcoach. You can't slow down. You can't think. You've got to be able to go play. You've got to be able to react. You've got to be able to take advantage of opportunities that come up. Uh, so, you know, being able to kind of massage it the right way and, and point out the proper things without uh, – you know, without micromanaging it too much because it's, it's up and down and you got to be ready to go. You mentioned hoops. What teams or like leagues, where do you look for some of this inspiration from? Oh, well, I've always watched Providence College basketball. <laughs> there you go. My wife's a PC alum. We've always watched Providence College basketball. Uh, so uh, I love that. Um, you know, I, I dug into different things. I actually went back and a lot of what we ran at Hopkins was just my high school basketball offense, um, you know, at a guy behind the goal. Uh, so we tried to, you know, massage some things there. Uh, I actually went and watched uh, a bunch of films during COVID, a bunch of breakdowns of like European league basketball. Sometimes they play a little bit, uh, probably more uh, complex offenses. So, you know, anywhere I can steal something, you know, December, January can be a little bit of a slow time. So I've always got a college hoops game on, uh, you know, an NBA game on, just trying to, you know, see what I can figure out or watch or break down. Um, but a, a, lot, a lot of it came from Providence, of course. Yeah, of course. The European leagues, we've had it, we, with our other network, FTF Sports, have been doing basketball in Italy and Germany and Spain. And the fluidity of that, of their some of those offenses in the cut, you're right, like, it's unlike anything you see sometimes in the United States here hoops-wise. 
Yeah, our basketball coach at Hopkins, uh, Josh Loeffler, had said, you know, to go watch some of the European leagues. He gave me a couple of the teams. I can't remember who they were, but I just kind of started Google searching their offenses and seeing what I could come up with and then seeing how it can translate to uh, to lacrosse. And some things stick. Some things end up being absolutely ludicrous ideas that, you know, kids probably think I'm insane for. But, uh, you know, if a couple of things stick here and there, we just, you know, try to keep moving forward. Yeah, the Providence College uh, basketball team is great, and they were fueled by a Taylor Swift song during this this run. I'm sure you're familiar. Is is is, T- is Taylor Swift coming to Providence men's lacrosse? Hopefully, she's got an open invite. So <laughs> uh, if we can get her out, that would be awesome. And yeah, yeah, I saw that. It's exciting times in Friartown right now. They love their sports. They love their athletics, and uh, you know that's a great draw for me, and uh, hopefully a great draw for anybody else trying to get up to there. And you get to be part of it here, Bobby. Uh, congratulations once again. Good luck this summer with the World Games. We're looking forward to seeing Team USA and looking forward to seeing uh, what you do up there in Friartown. Good luck, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Travis. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Exciting times there at Providence College for, for Bobby Benson and uh, a guy that has been spoken about a lot for how good his offenses have been. It was really interesting to hear him kind of break down how he dissects, like, what he wants to do with the personnel he has and then how he lets it work. Yeah, and another cool hire. And, and I love to see, you know, how some of these young coaches and, and guys that have been experienced, too, in the game, they're going to reinvigorate some of these programs. Yeah, Big East got a bunch of new coaches. Yeah, it's going uh, to be Justin Turry's now at St. John's. Benson's at Providence. That conference, like, we've seen Villanova kind of sneak up. Obviously, Denver and Georgetown have been at the top. top. Marquette has a, a brand new facility that they're they're building there in uh, in Milwaukee so life is good in yeah, the Yeah, maybe a little get some two bids in the NCAAs here with, with all that going For on sure. and help the RPI numbers which we know are so important. I mean they all play some of the best teams in the they in the do. country. They do. win year. some of those. So games. now you got to win some. Got to win some yeah, of those. For sure. Games. Unlike the ACC, they didn't win anything last year. One team, one bid well, league. How does this always come back to hitting on the ACC? Well, huh? I mean they, they they deserve it. They do. After, you're right. You know, I'm sorry. Anyway, We've got some exciting stuff going on for you next week as we get ready for the Women's World Championships coming up in Towson. So we'll have a lot of great interviews. We're talking to a lot of the athletes that are involved. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, our show next week is going to be mostly focused on getting ready for the Women's World Championships in Towson, Maryland. It'll be our last show before the World Championships kick off later in the week. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Team USA looking to win another gold medal, but... You know, Canada is going to be there. Australia and England have shown up in the past. So um, going to be fun to see how things play out. And on a very big stage, there's been there's a lot of expectations for this this Women's World Championship in Townsend, Maryland. U.S. looking to win their first one on, on home soil yeah. in quite a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, to, scheduled to appear on the show, Kylie O'Miller, Marie McCool, Dempsey, Dempsey Arsenal. Arsenal. So um, make sure to tune in for some of those Team USA stars. Their mentality heading into this this huge, huge event for them. You know, they kind of kick off the summer with the World Games, the Sixes happening as well later on. So looking forward to just kind of previewing that for you next week too. So make sure you stay tuned to that. Uh, We will see you next week. But as for now, he's Tom. I'm Travis. We'll see you later.